All right, if you have your Bible and paper version or electronic, turn to Romans 8. Um, Obviously, that's where we've been hanging out all semester. And today we get to hopefully clarify what I think is probably one of the most misappropriated promises in all of Scripture. Um, One of which I would say is... um, the Philippians 4.13 verse that talks about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We, we throw that verse out as a favorite one we memorize as kids. But did you know that one is actually talking about like the secret to contentment, if you read in context? So it's really important that when we study um, God's promises to us, that before we start kind of appropriating those promises for ourselves, that we really seek to understand who are those promises for, in what um, circumstances are they true? Uh, what is God's responsibility in those promises and what is mine? And so we're going to be looking into those things today in Romans 8.28. So if someone would like to read that for us in a loud, clear voice, please go right ahead. All right, everybody heard that verse at some point in their life, probably. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard some kind of a paraphrase of that at some level. So I want you to partner up with the person next to you and discuss how do we often apply this promise to our lives or what do we often mean when we attempt to encourage ourselves with that promise or encourage someone else? You know, they're going through a hard time and we're like, it'll be okay, all things work together for good, right? So... Discuss with one another. How do we often apply this promise? What do we generally mean when we encourage ourselves or somebody else with that? So take a minute to do that. All right, y'all talk to me, okay? So pick a volunteers. Tell me some of the things that you talked about. Oh, that was a lively conversation now. Come on. Okay, so we mean like there's a common goal. Kind of everything is working towards this common goal. Okay, that is good. All right? What else? Ah, okay. Yep. Mm, How do you think we often define it? What do you think we mean when we say good? Mm, okay. Okay, somebody else. What do we mean when we're trying to encourage someone? You got that friend who failed the class, right? It's okay. God works all things together for the good. Right? You say it. Go ahead, Ashton. I think like Yes. Um, yes. What is it? Uh, better, better days are ahead, kind of a thing. Okay, one more. Yeah, kind of because we often don't really know what to say, right? Tragedy strikes. Somebody's grieving. It's a, it's more than just failed a class. Like it's really a big deal, and we're like, there's got to be hope somewhere in this, in the midst of tragedy. And so I think we are looking for hope. We're trying to impart hope in the midst of hard things. You like my chicken scratch? Um, 
some of the things that I wrote down of kind of, we uh, might boil it down to sort of some secular phrases that we hear a lot. There's a reason for everything. Um, you know, God is sovereign. He'll bring good out of it. Um, I think a lot of times we think that means God brings good out of my sin. Maybe I sinned or somebody else sinned against me, but at least insert whatever some positive outcome will come of it or came of it. What about all's well that ends well? Y'all heard that phrase, right? All's well that ends well, as long as everything comes out okay in the end. It'll be all right. Or just the, hey, that sucks, but let's hope for the best. Kind of this just, the just generic, hoping for the best. But why do you think we lean so heavily on these general, generalizations? When we think about um, everything on the spectrum from, oh man, I overslept and missed class today, to my boyfriend broke up with me, to, you know, I totaled my car, now I'm going to be in really hot water. Like, why do we feel the need to impart comfort to a friend when they're going through a hard time or to tell ourselves these things? What's our motivation, you think, most of the time? Yeah? Show someone that we care or empathizing. Okay. Oh, say it again. Otherwise, it feel hopeless. Lindell. Yeah. Right, so when we see a problem, things are not going well, I feel terribly, you feel terribly, I think there's this innate desire to want to fix things, right? But we know we don't have, like, power, really, to fix things, and so what we can try to do is point towards hope. Um, And so this promise which says, for we know, or and we know, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, a lot of times I think we stop short. And we know that God causes all things. And we stop there. And that would be a false reading. Or, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, generically, across the board. And that would be a false reading. So who is this promise for? Let's settle that first and foremost. This is a promise from God to whom? What does it say in that verse? Somebody look at your Bible. Look at the end. (laughs) Yeah. There are two qualifiers here for who can be a recipient of this promise. It is not a for all humanity promise. And that is really important to remember, especially as we seek to encourage others and impart hope that this is a promise specifically for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is a promise for followers of Jesus. Uh, Two quick psalms that kind of point to God's goodness to specific people. Psalm 3410 says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good things. And then Psalm 8411, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we see God has a desire to do good to those who love him, those who want relationship with him. He wants to do good for you. We know that God is a good father who gives good gifts. Jesus himself said, right, that God is not one who says, if, you know, if you're asking for bread, he'll give you a stone, right? Um, that he wants to give you good things. That is not really what's in question here. It's not that, well, is God going to give me good things or not? He does love you. He wants to give you good things. But 
that's not quite what this verse is getting at. So let's talk about how this promise is meant to encourage us. So let me ask you, is God, um, do you often think of God as a master manipulator in your life? Or perhaps you might be on the other spectrum of God as kind of this magical maid. So here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of times when we think of this verse and we stop at, and we know that God causes all things, and we put a period there and we look at it as I can ascribe meaning and therefore hope to every awful thing that happens because God is behind the scenes pulling the strings, manipulating life to go in a very specific way. Is that what scripture teaches? No. God is sovereign, but yet we also have free will. We know that, that he allows us choice. There is so much that happens in life that is truly awful that God does not cause, right? That in our sin, in someone else's sin, the curse of sin that is just kind of pervasive across the earth, we know that. But a lot of times I think we try to bring ourselves comfort, thinking, well, God must have meant this, right? And we put a period right there at the end of the word things. I think on the reverse, a lot of times we approach God as kind of this magical maid. He comes along to clean up our messes, my bad choices, my sins, the messes of the world. We look around at the mess that we think that humanity has made, and God's job is to this promise means that God comes along and cleans it up. Have you ever thought about that in your own life? Have you been tempted to have that sort of response to who God is? Yeah, I messed up, but God will bring good out of it, right? And then we just kind of grit our teeth and hope for the best. In our household, we are big on personal responsibility. We expect the kids to clean up after themselves. They don't do that well, but that is still our expectation. And um, one of them is that after dinner or a meal, they put their dishes in the dishwasher. They don't have to wash them, but they have to scrape them, rinse them, put them in the dishwasher. And I always make a joke with McClendon when he leaves his dirty dishes in the sink of, I don't know why you're putting those there because there's no such thing as a kitchen fairy, you know, that comes along and just magically the dishes are going to be clean. And he'll kind of smirk and he'll be like, sure there is, mom, you are. You know, and I give him this look, right? But my role as a, his mother, right, to steward this child to maturity, to reduce that role to just, she's the lady who washes my dishes. How often do we treat God like that? Here's the God of the universe, and we reduce his role in our lives to just, he cleans up my messes. Have you been guilty of that? I definitely have. But we see in the Bible throughout this tension that God is sovereign, which simply means he is ultimate authority and has all power, and that man is responsible, and we are held responsible. So what does that mean when it says all things? And we know that God causes, we've got to take that step further, all things to work together for good. Does that include my suffering? Does that include my sin? others sin against me and their effects for me? Does it include my bad choices? Does it include whatever circumstances that I might find myself in? Well, let's look back real quickly and where we've been in Romans 8. 
So we know that Paul has made this case throughout Romans 8 that we are no longer in the flesh, but now we are in the spirit, and that we can now be called children and co-heirs with Christ. And in verse 17, he says, if indeed, and there's an if, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then he goes on to talk about this hope that is not seen, but that which we have, that we can wait eagerly for it. He says, we have a hope that is worth suffering for. And then he gives us two encouragements. The first one we looked at a couple weeks ago, right before fall retreat, that the Spirit is interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. So first promise is that, or the first promise that he gives us that can encourage us that we have this hope that is worth suffering for is that we have the Holy Spirit on our side. And then he gives us the second promise. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good. Those who love him are called according to his purpose. This is a promise, right, that your obedience in the hard things is well worth it. And so we can see through this discussion he has about suffering. This verse is not really talking about our sin. When we think about the suffering that we have because of our sin, in which we certainly do, and there is good that God can bring from that, certainly, but that's not yet what this verse is getting at. This verse is not about our sin when it talks about all things, but it's about our obedience. We have a hope that is worth suffering for, therefore obey. Be faithful. Persevere. It's not just a justification for our sin. How many times have we used this promise as a justification, right? I know I have so many times. But at least God brought good out of it, or he will. But really how God wants me to use this promise is in the hard thing that I am having a really hard time being faithful in, obedient to, persevering in, that he says, I promise you, Renee, it will work together for your good. If you will stay the course, you can be confident that that circumstance, along with all the others, is working together for your good. That should motivate me. It should motivate you to be faithful when you're tempted to do anything but. 1 Peter 2.20 says, What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, meaning basically when you sin and you endure the, the negative consequences, you endure it with patience? It's like, good for you, you're supposed to. You know, you, you um, get in trouble with your parents and you're grounded in high school. You know, if, if you endure being grounded without grumbling, it's like, that the, you don't get a gold star for that. But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, and you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. We want to find favor with God in our faithfulness. So we see that all things, when we're wondering, okay, well, what does that mean, all things? Well, he's primarily talking about suffering, hardship, and affliction that we are promised in this world. Okay, why? Why is that? Hebrews 2.10 talks about God found it favor to perfect the author of our salvation through sufferings. Jesus was perfected through sufferings. And Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. God is wanting to do something in you, and you've got to learn obedience. How hard is it to learn obedience? Does anybody have a hard time learning <laughs> obedience? <laughs> right? Right? 
How many of you just naturally, like when you were growing up, the first time your parents told you to do something, you were like, oh, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, right away. Anybody? Oh, Nick, okay, good. <laughs> I was not that child. I got lots of spankings, and it was, yeah, it was like, mm -mm, you're not telling me what to do, right? But I learned obedience through the discipline. When things are hard is when we learn obedience. What does that mean for our sin? Right? Does God bring good of it? Absolutely he does. As we walk in repentance, we understand that he disciplines us for our good. In Psalm 119, the psalmist talks about, it was good that I was afflicted because before that I went astray, but now I keep your word. Right? That we can allow God to bring about obedience, and that is what he is working on, is if we go look at just a little teaser for next week, verse 29. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. When we talk about that all things work together for good, Matthew brought this up a lot of times. We want that to mean our definition of good, don't we? That God, you're going to take all of the bad mistakes, you're going to take all of the hard things, and somehow you're still going to give me what I'm hoping for most in life, right? Which for most of us, probably, admittedly, is the American dream, right? I want some comfort, I want some, enough money to live on, a nice house, the good job, family, the car, the vacations, the experiences, that somehow, God, you're still going to bring those to bear in my life. Take a minute and just write down what is the good you are hoping for? Just jot down a couple of things. What is the good that you're hoping for? What were a couple of things that you wrote down? Just shout out a couple. What's the good you're hoping for? Comfort. Comfort, that's me. Happiness. Happiness. Peace. Peace. Financial freedom. Yep. Mm hmm. Safety. Mm hmm. Stability. So we're hoping for all these things and so many more, right? Y'all were in the service previously. Pastor West preached a great um, sermon about Lazarus, Jesus raising Lazarus to life, but. He referenced 1 Corinthians 15, 19, where it says, if, this is where Paul says, if we only hope in Christ for this life, we of all men are most to be pitied. If your hope in Jesus is only for what he can give you in this life, we're missing it. We're missing it. There's so much more, so much more he wants to give you. There's so much more good he wants to give you that extends far beyond the comforts, the peace, the stability, the stuff, the temporal things of this life. What are some things that maybe come to mind when you think about how God defines good? Can you think about maybe one or two places in scripture where he talks about, um, hey, you might think that this is good, but let me tell you what is actually good. Can you come to mind? It's good. It is good. Over and over and over again. I want to talk about that some more in just a second. I don't know specific verse, but I know um, that 
as we were talking basically about worldly things instead of just wait to the heavenly things that are yeah, there are heavenly things. Store up your treasures in heaven. Think about that, right? That he talks about even in the Beatitudes, right? Happy are they who, and he gives a whole list of like, this is what the world says it means to be happy, but I'm going to tell you, right? This is where the good is in my economy. What if the good that he wants to do in your life is so much bigger than yourself? Have you thought about that? That is the things that you suffer, the things that you endure, that there may be good for you in that, but God is working out a far greater good than just you. Ever thought about that? We live in a very individualistic society, don't we? That the only good is my good. If you've known McKenna for like more than five minutes, you've probably heard her uh, reference 2 Corinthians 4.15 which says, for all things, there's that all things again, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Verse 17 says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. All things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading more and more people. You thought about that? That there is a ripple effect of God's grace in your life that should extend beyond just yourself. We see that in Genesis. So great job pulling out Genesis 1, right? We see Genesis opens with God's goodness. Everything he creates, he sees, he sees it and says, that is good. And then what happens? Man sins. Everything is destroyed. It's a wreck. But Genesis ends with God's goodness. Did you know that? The very last chapter, chapter 50, ends with the story of Joseph coming to culmination. If you remember Joseph, right? He was just like this little kind of, a little bit of an annoying teenager who keeps telling his brothers about these dreams that he keeps having. And they get really mad at him and decide, let's just get rid of him. But wait, instead of killing him, let's make money off of him. And so they sell him. Um, into slavery, essentially. And Joseph, of course, goes through a series of unfortunate events, right? He is the victim of much sin against him and a lot of really hard things. But in the end, in Genesis 50, 20, as he is reconciled with his family, in great humility, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. But not for him. He doesn't say so that I could like live in a palace and have a, you know, notoriety and fame and power. He said he, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Remember, there's a famine in the land of Egypt and all around. But because of Joseph, there is food that is stored up. God orchestrated those events, not necessarily... Um, willing them, but using them to his own purposes so that during this famine he can preserve his people, Joseph's family, the Israelites. God's good was not just for Joseph. Joseph benefited from it, but it was far greater than just him. So what does Romans 8.28 not mean? 
It does not mean that God causes all things. It does not mean that we don't suffer or experience negative consequences for our sin. It doesn't mean that everything always turns out for the best in our definition of that, or even in our own lifetime. Here's how we apply this promise in 828. 1 Peter 419 says, Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. When you're faced with a choice, do I do the right thing or do I yield to my flesh? Do I go after the temporal thing? Do I do what feels right now? This promise is for you. That when you are faithful in doing right, God is working together all things for your good and for his greater good. So some questions by way of application. Remembering that this promise is not a universal promise. So the question is, do you love God? Are you pursuing his purposes? All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Secondly, where do you need to redefine good according to God's definition? Where do you need to broaden your definition of good as you think about some of the hard things that you've walked through in your life or maybe in this um, semester specifically? Where do you need to kind of open up your definition of good to include maybe more than just yourself, maybe more than just temporal good, right? Good in this life. Are you willing to suffer for that good? I want to end here with um, this last question. Which of the following shifts do you need to make in your mindset about suffering and hardship and hard things? Do you need to move from self-centered to kingdom-minded? Do you need to move from entitlement to humility? From manipulation, right? Trying to get everything worked out just right to get the result you're looking for? To trust that God is at work in your life and behind the scenes and in ways that you can't even fathom. Do you need to move from valuing temporal things to valuing eternal things? And do you need to move from independent, I got this God, just clean up the mess, to available and obedient. God, I'm here for you. I am yours. Take a few minutes, turn back to the person you were chatting with at the beginning and just talk about that. How do you need to correctly appropriate Romans 8.28 in your life? All right, I hope y'all had some lively discussion. Um, I just wanna end with, I want to um, just encourage you, God values your sanctification so, so much. He is um, at work conforming you to the image of Christ. That is his good goal for you. Um, 
Hebrews 12, 14 tells us to pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Do you understand? He really, really cares that you are becoming more like Christ. And we know that his spirit is at work in us to do that. But he is going to use the sufferings, the hard things of our lives in order to bring that about. Um, So I just want to just challenge you to keep that good goal in mind. When you are enduring the hard things, he is making me into the image of Christ. He is working out all things for good as I trust him. The third verse of Amazing Grace says, The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the opportunity to lift our perspective um, above ourselves and our own lives and our own desires, um, the things that are um, in our midst, Lord, that are hard, and yet we maybe feel victimized by them, we feel defeated by them, we wonder why is this happening. God, I thank you for this promise to those of us who love you and who are pursuing your kingdom, God, even imperfectly, that, God, you are at work in the hard things, that you are taking all of them and you are weaving them together into a tapestry, Lord, that results in a beautiful, beautiful picture of your goodness. And, Lord, we thank you that we generally do get to see a picture of that goodness, to experience your goodness in this life. Psalm 27 says, if I would have despaired if I didn't believe that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, that there is much good that we will see in this life alongside the hard things. But God, if that is our only hope, the good for now, God, we're missing out so much on the greater good that you have in store for us for all eternity. Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, holding out before us this hope of all things better, of all things good. God, we thank you that you are so powerful, that you are not constrained by circumstances, by people in power, by genetics, by um, those who have sinned against us, by our own mistakes, Lord. You are so powerful and so good and so gracious. God, may we pursue you, Lord, laying aside um, the sin that so easily entangles, Lord, and running hard after you and after your purposes. May this encourage us um, today, Lord, to walk in faith and obedience. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.